loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so praise God that he does love us. Now, uh, you might not know the author of that song. His uh, name was Gypsy Smith. Uh, he was saved out of a, what people would call the gypsy lifestyle. And um, he said, I would never want to lose the wonder of coming to know the Lord uh, as my Savior. And so let's not lose the wonder, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, that Jesus loves us. I invite you to take your Bibles today, open them up to uh, Daniel chapter 4. Now I know that that screen is going to be hard for you. Um, do you see the inverted V on the screen? Do you see that pattern? All right, how the, the, the writing goes like this and then comes back out? All right, so that's called a, a chiasm in the, in the Hebrew, the, the literary structure of the book of Daniel. Um, I put that in there for you so you could see how the book of Daniel was unfolding. So uh, the top line says, Nebuchadnezzar dreams about four earthly kingdoms and a fifth earthly, uh, heavenly kingdom in chapter 2. So you remember he had the, the dream of the image that the head was made of gold and the chest was silver and uh, the, the abdomen bronze and the legs iron and, and stone. All right. Then chapter 3 was about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, challenging the, the king when he said you have to worship the image that he sets up. And then today, chapter 4, a proud Gentile king, Nebuchadnezzar, is humbled. So that's where we are today. And then we're going to go. This is where it's going. Notice the structure of the proud Gentile king, Belshazzar, who is Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, is humbled, chapter 5. Then coming back out one more a tab, a faithful Jew, Daniel, faith is death for his faith, chapter 6. Does anybody remember what that story is about? Daniel in the lion's den, all right? So that's probably the most famous story uh, in the book of Daniel. And then chapter 7, Daniel dreams about four earthly kingdoms and a fifth eternal kingdom in chapter 7. And so that will conclude our uh, basic uh, life of Daniel, and then the book changes style, so you get a lot of story, uh, which is called narrative, and then it changes to prophecy, and there's a technical term for that called apocalyptic literature, like apocalypse, all right, and uh, it tells what's going to happen in future days, but so now uh, we're going to be wrapping up uh, Daniel's life, and so today a proud king, Nebuchadnezzar, is humbled here in chapter 4. Um, we've been in a series. Uh, each message stands on its own. So if you're with us for the first time today, don't worry. Uh, you don't need to have heard all of the previous messages to be able to understand this one. Um, so the technical name for the message today is Daniel's Appeal, because he appeals to the king to repent of his sin and to them practice righteousness. But I don't know that that helps you remember it. So how would this title do? Would you remember this title? Nebuchadnezzar Sandwich? <laughs> yeah, that might help you remember it, all right? So at the beginning of chapter four, we, we find the first piece of bread, which is his praise. And then he tells his dream, which is like the lettuce and the condiments, the tomatoes, right? And then nobody can interpret it, so he calls in Daniel, and that's like the meat of, of the sandwich, all right? And then at the end, the, the, the bottom piece of bread is Nebuchadnezzar wraps it all up again by starting or stopping where he started with praise. So the bread is praise, and the condiments and the meat and everything in between is Nebuchadnezzar's story about this dream that he has. So maybe Nebuchadnezzar's sandwich will help you more. But Daniel does appeal to his king, his sovereign, to repent. And so if you would look here at Daniel chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, uh, Daniel says that the king is going to be humbled in the, the end of 26, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth to whomsoever he will. 
uh, in verse 26, and whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee. After thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness, and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be the lengthening of thy tranquility. So Daniel appeals in verse 27 to the king, King, please, please repent, practice righteousness. I want you to experience peace on your throne. I want your life to be a life of, of blessing. And so let's look here at verses 1 through 3 in chapter 4 of Daniel and see how the king sets this up. And I'm going to find my glasses. Nebuchadnezzar the king unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show you the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs, and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. And so this is a story of peace for all people. Now, do you see that in verses 1 through 3? Do you see that the, there's a story here? Do you see that it's for all people? All right, do you see that? So what we're doing here today is not just a story for Christians. All right? The, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just a story for church people. So no matter what background you come from today, this story is for you. And here's an interesting historical element to this particular chapter. This is Nebuchadnezzar writing a firsthand account of what happened to him. And it is not in Hebrew, it's in Aramaic. And it was published as an official government document that was sent out to all peoples in the Aramaic language. And so somewhere, someday, maybe in the Middle East, some archaeologists will be digging in the ruins of ancient Babylon, and maybe they'll come across the royal library of King Nebuchadnezzar, and they'll uncover cuneiform uh, tablets, not Apple, all right, or Android tablets, but cuneiform, that was the brand name back then, um, tablets of this historical document. Maybe they'll find that one day. But nonetheless, we know it's true. It's a true story. Jesus tells us that Daniel existed. Jesus didn't lie to us. And so here the story is for all peoples. And, and God is not out to get us. All right, He's out to give us peace. And the, the title of our series is this. God's sovereignty is our security. And when we're secure, we feel at peace. And notice God wants to provide peace for us here again. Um, at the end of verse 1, peace be multiplied unto you. Isn't it interesting how even in the Old Testament, when someone comes to know God, they want other people to share the peace that they have in their life so that other people can have that peace? In the New Testament, many of the Apostle Paul's letters start out with grace and peace to you. Well, peace is the result of being right with God. And Nebuchadnezzar, up to this point, has been a pagan king, worshiping his own gods and attributing success in his kingdom and his, his political dynasty to himself. And we'll see that today. Um, the Greeks considered uh, Babylon in the Hanging Gardens of Babylon one of the seven uh, wonders of the ancient world. And if you were to go over to Iraq today, just outside of Baghdad, you would go to the ruins of Babylon, and they have pulled up bricks out of the earth that have King Nebuchadnezzar's name on them. And he was a, he was a mighty builder. And uh, so their technology was not, you know, very rude and elementary. I mean, they were an advanced civilization. They, they had comforts and luxuries. 
And so they, they ran water up over 100 feet in elevation by corkscrews. The engineering pulled water up to the top of the gardens and then the water flowed down. And uh, this was a civilization that was to be proud of on a human level, and we're going to see that that's just the issue today. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was a little too proud. But he tells his story. Uh, it's a story for all peoples. Now, we're going to see that pride was Nebuchadnezzar's crowning sin. It wasn't greed. It, it wasn't lust. Okay, uh, Not murder, but pride. And this is a, a human vice that we all deal with here today. From the one recounting the story to you, to you sitting out there today, our real issue is pride in our heart. And we'll read some verses about pride as we go through the story today. But pride is the failure to acknowledge God's authority in our life. That's what pride is. The failure to acknowledge God's authority in our life. Why do I say that pride is a human problem? Well, because Adam and Eve in the garden had the sin of pride. The devil had the sin of pride, and that's what he tempted Adam and Eve with. Has God really said, oh, you don't, you don't need to obey God? You could live independently of God. And then the Apostle John in the New Testament warns us that we're not to love the world, for all that is in the world is not of the Father. And he goes on to list three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and then what? The pride of life. And uh, there's a lot of pride in our culture and in our society today. And so pride is this issue. So this is the, the preface of praise. The, this pagan king, in verse 2, shares his motive with us, why he's going to tell us the story. I thought it good to show you the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. So Daniel's God became the personal God of King Nebuchadnezzar. And he's like, I want to tell you what God did in my life. I think it's a powerful story. I think there's something that you should learn from how God worked in my life. He became my God, and I knew him personally. And so he's going to tell us his story, and it brings glory to God. So verse 3, how great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. Um, we were singing that way today, like God was wonderful. And that was an encouragement to hear you sing so well today. And so he says here, mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. So let me ask you with that last phrase, from generation to generation, do you think God has quit working today? No, he's still working. He's still working in our generation. He'll be working in the generation that comes after us and the generation that comes after them, unless, of course, he comes back. But he works in every single generation, and I, I'm so thankful for a God that does not leave us alone. So I certainly needed his grace at the age of 20. And uh, he came and he found me, and his works towards me were mighty. And I know that he changed me and has transformed my life, and I would like to share more of that with you today on how this glorious, great God can do something for you that he did for Nebuchadnezzar in this story. And so it's a story for all people, a story of peace for all people. Now let's look here at uh, verses 4 through 18, but especially verse 17. A story of God's power for all people. So let's begin reading. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. All right. Now, just a comment here on this verse. Many years ago, I, I read a book, and uh, the advice was try to create a fictional character of the town that you live in. And so at the time, I was ministering and pastoring in Pleasant Hill, and uh, I worked for a financial broker. Uh, his name was Paul. He's a nice guy. Uh, he told me one day when we went out hiking that he was both a Christian and a Buddhist. Hmm. Like, wow, I didn't know you could be both at the same time. And um, so that I, I learned quickly is the uh, postmodern mind 
you can hold both of those together and they don't conflict because you don't want them to, okay? But if you look at the principles of Buddhism and Christianity, well, they do conflict, obviously. But um, in that book that I read, it said create a profile, and so I called my profile Pleasant Hill Paul, all right? Maybe it will be Hollister Harry or something, I don't know, all right? Uh, but nonetheless, Pleasant Hill Paul was the kind of guy that had uh, ski uh, jets in his, in his garage that he could go to and play with uh, on the weekend. Uh, he's the kind of guy that had large screens TVs in his living room. He had all kinds of uh, beautiful uh, furniture in his home and these uh, beautiful homes and gardens. The place was called Gregory Gardens in that section of the neighborhood, just a gorgeous area. And you know, a lot of people are just so content they don't even think they need God. I mean, why do I need God? I mean, I'm doing pretty good for myself, aren't I? And um, then uh, there was another city that was uh, just to the south of that. It was called Alamo and Blackhawk. And uh, those were the, the multi-million dollar mansion homes. And uh, those were really lavish homes. And I was in a couple of those. We had one of our members that was from that area for a few years. Uh, three or four different levels and just built into this home with this view, I mean, just gorgeous. But some people just think, why do I need God? And that's Nebuchadnezzar. I was at, at rest, everything was going okay. I'm sitting in my palace, life is hunky-dory. Why do I need God? All right, well, now we're going to find out. Verse 5, I saw in a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts upon my uh, bed and the visions of my head troubled me. I love the metric rhyme in that, all right? So he has a dream, and it's not just a dream, it's a nightmare, right? He wakes up, and he's terrified. Therefore, I made a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. Then came in the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers, and I told the dream before them, but they did not make known to me the interpretation thereof. Today, we try the tarot card readers, the palm readers, you know, seances, uh, the horoscopes, you know, Ouija boards. We, we try all kinds of things to find out what, what's coming our way in life, right? Um, so people are no different. He wanted to find out what this was like. Verse 8, but Daniel at last came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. Now that's referring to Daniel. And before him I told the dream, saying... O Belteshazzar, master of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in thee, and no secret troubleth thee, tell me the visions of my dream that I have seen in the interpretation thereof. Thus were the visions of mine head in my bed, and I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. Could it be a California redwood? Who knows? Did you see in the news this week that they're putting like a $7,000 fine if you hike out to the tallest tree in the world up there in, in uh, Redwood National Park. Uh, so there's a trail that goes to it, but it's not on the maps, and you're not supposed to be out there. So if you're caught on that trail, you're going to get a $7,000 fine because they don't want that tree dying. It's uh, almost 400 feet tall. I think it's like 389 feet. So maybe Nebuchadnezzar's uh, seeing a California redwood, all right? So he sees this, this dream uh, of this tree, and it's reaching high into the heavens, all right? And the sight thereof to the end of all the earth. And the leaves, verse 12, uh, were fair, and the fruit thereof much. And it was meat uh, for all, and the beasts of the field had the shadow under it, and the fowls of the heaven dwelt in the bows thereof, and all flesh was fed of it. And I saw in the visions of my head and upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and a holy one came down from heaven. And he cried aloud and said thus, Timber! Oh, okay, he's it. Hew down the tree, and cut off the branches, shake off his leaves, and scatter his fruit, and let the beast get away from under it, and the fowls from under his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass, and the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let it, his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. And let his heart be changed from a man's, and let a beast's heart be given unto him, 
and let seven times pass over him. Now, verse 17 is the verse of this section that we want to highlight. So look at verse 17, please. This matter is by decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth to whomsoever he will and setteth it up over the basest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. And now, therefore, O Belteshazzar, declare the interpretation thereof, for as much as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto me the interpretation, but thou art able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in thee. So we saw the, the piece of bread was Nebuchadnezzar's praise. Now we're at the lettuce, all right, um, where he recounts, I had a nightmare. This magnificent tree that provided for animals and people and beasts and provided food and it was visible throughout the whole earth. This was a magnificent, beautiful tree. And I saw these angels coming down and saying, cut it down and get everybody away. Let them scatter. And um, then I heard them talking about it like it was a person. And that his mind would be changed to, to be like this crazy beast, mad cow's disease, right? And um, he's just going to be crazy until he acknowledges in verse 17 that the Most High ruleth in the affairs of the kingdom of men. All right. So China was saber-rattling this week. The United States was irritating by sending Pelosi over to Taiwan and China getting upset. Um, of course, the war with Russia and Ukraine still goes on. And then a couple of days ago, there was some tensions building between the, the Israelis and the Palestinians. And now uh, there's been this assassination of a, of a jihadist in, in the Gaza Strip. And now they're afraid of all war breaking out between Israel and Palestine. And the world just seems to be going crazy. And we can just get into this panic mode. Two quarters of declining economy. Is there a recession coming? <sighs> and we can get all stressed out. We can begin to, to you just worry just all over the place. You know, is there going to be another terrorist attack? Is, what, what's going to happen? Is America going to... Ah! All right? And so we can have nightmares, just like Nebuchadnezzar. One thing we need to know. God's in control. All right? So Nebuchadnezzar did not want to acknowledge that God was in control. And so he will have to come to a greater realization that God's sovereignty cannot be in your life if you're a person full of pride. And so this is where we're going to find in this story today that we're secure um, by seeing a sovereign God at work. But when we won't listen to God and we live above the law of God and then we begin to abuse people, God will humble us. God will humble any political ruler along that line. And so the king then reports this dream to, to Daniel, and um, he tells it, it all of what, what is happening and so forth. But now, um, notice with me that none of his normal human methods of trying to find these things out work for him. Okay? So back in verse 7, he calls in just about every class or uh, ability, all right, he calls in scientists, he calls in uh, the spiritualists, he calls in political advisors. No one is able to help him out. And at least this much to Nebuchadnezzar's credit. When something wasn't working, at least he acknowledged it didn't work. Right? You know, the definition of insanity is doing something over and over again when you know it doesn't work. And I think that's where people are today. They try self-help. They, they try all kinds of psychology. 
by the way, uh, psychology is this endless loop. There's over 200 different schools of psychology, all very humanistic centered. Now, there's some common observations amongst the 200 schools of psychology that can be very helpful. But do you know who the author of the psych is? Do you know what the, the Greek word for your soul is? It's suke, where we get psych or psychology. God's the author. And we try all kinds of different resources, and insanity is never stopping to ask, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I'm missing God. Because God was not in Nebuchadnezzar's mind here. Right? And so... Then finally, he calls in Daniel, and, and we know why he calls in Daniel, because Daniel has been able to uh, interpret his last dream or his first dream, but not only interpret his dream, the first time around, Daniel had to tell the king what he dreamed, plus the interpretation. So he knows that Daniel can do this, and so he, he finally calls in Daniel. And so now here is an appeal for all people, all right? And so this is... Uh, where the story comes down. I set my glasses down. Let's keep on reading. Let's pick it up in verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for one hour, and his thoughts troubled him. Well, that's not good. All right. The one that you rely on, the one that's never failed you in the past, is now astonished. He's got trouble articulating, communicating what the interpretation is. At that point, if I was the king, I might be a little worried, all right? Something really bad's happening if Daniel was astonished, all right? Just keep that thought in your mind. So the king spake and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Belteshazzar, or Daniel, answered and said, my lord, the dream be to them that hate thee and the interpretation thereof is to your enemies. All right. You've got some political intrigue in the palace. Unfortunately, King, this interpretation sides with them. Your enemies, this is to their advantage. The tree that thou sawest, which grew and was strong, whose height reached unto the heaven, and the sight thereof to all the earth, whose leaves were fair, and the fruit thereof much. And in it was meat for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and upon whose branches the fowls of the heaven had their habitation. It is thou, O king. Thou art grown and become strong, for thy greatness is grown, and reacheth unto the heaven, and thy dominion to the end of the earth. And whereas the king saw a watcher and a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, Hew down the tree and destroy it, yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. Well, this is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king. That they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall uh, wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee. Now notice, till thou knowest that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and whereas they command to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee after thee thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. Verse 27 is the appeal. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off uh, thy sins by righteousness, and thine iniquity by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. Well, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy in the evil way and the forward do I hate Proverbs 8 13 so Daniel recommends that the king humble himself 
under the mighty hand of God. Why does God humble people? Is it because he's cruel and loves to punish people? Why does God correct you as his child? Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. We talked about this in children's Sunday school this morning. That for God's people, obedience results in blessing. Disobedience results in cursing. And God then uses punishment to steer us away from disobedience to get us to go back to the path of life, the God of life. And so he corrects, he humbles to bring us back to himself. The way of a transgressor is hard. Living a sinful lifestyle without God's authority in your life, not even recognizing that way, life is going to be hard for you. It's just going to be flat out hard. And God makes it difficult, and the intended purpose is to steer you back to him so that you'll be in right relationship with him. Become his child, and if you are a disobedient child, then to get you to be a child that's back in fellowship with himself. And so the Bible says in Psalm 10, verse 4, the wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. Now, look with me. In verses 28, 29, and 30. All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months as he walked in the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is this not great Babylon that I, flashing neon lights, pointing fingers, that I have built for the house of the kingdom of the might of my power, for the honor of my majesty. All right, so he's maybe a little conceited. And while the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. Up to this point, 12 months later, Nebuchadnezzar remained a proud and arrogant man. He did not listen to Daniel's appeal. Now, I know what the book of Romans tells me. Romans chapter 2 tells me that the goodness of God and the grace of God leads to repentance. His forbearance. God is patient. And I was sharing with you that when the age of 20, I came to know that I had received the gift of eternal life. See, I grew up a, a religious person. I went to church every week. But just because you park or stand in a garage doesn't make you a car, right? Just because you walk in a church building doesn't make you a Christian. Just because your parents are Christians doesn't make you a Christian, all right? And so I had to repent and put my faith in Jesus Christ on my own accord at the age of 20, and that's when I repented and trusted Christ as my Savior and uh, quit walking in a life of pride. And God was good to me. 20 years of long-suffering, gentleness, kindness towards me. If you don't know the Lord yet to, as your personal Savior, God's good to you. He's being patient with you. And so... Daniel's appeal to his king would be my appeal to you today. Repent. Put your faith and trust in Jesus and then live the Christian life. Live differently. Because once you know Christ, you can live differently. You're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. Um, that you put off concerning the former conversation that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on righteousness and true holiness which was created according to God in Christ Jesus. Live like Christ. But think of God. Put God 
in your thinking. See, this is why I might say there's a jade of pessimism in me when I think about America right now. Because America intentionally wants to dismiss God from their thoughts. God may just have to humble us to get us to come back to him. Because God loves and chastens. So please, pray for your country that we'll humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. The wicked, through pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts. So Daniel recommends to the king to practice righteousness as the chief virtue of a ruler in contrast to the unrighteousness of despots. And uh, if you go through the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 4, Psalm 72, verse 4, Isaiah 41, verse 2, the virtue of the Jewish king who is called Messiah is he's a God that considers all classes of people and treats them equally, treats them in righteousness. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the primary aim of government was restored in American thinking today, the good and the protection of all. For some reason, I think a lot of politicians have got their own uh, legacy that they want to perpetuate. And they govern thinking about their kingdom, their legacy, their power, their majesty, their might, their dominion instead of what's good for the country. And they need to humble themselves and get God in their thinking. So Nebuchadnezzar, he remains proud. He says, I have built. Well, he was known for his building projects, as I mentioned to you before. But here's what God warns. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. We're just going to see here in a second, Nebuchadnezzar take a great fall. 1 John 2.16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Christian, are you doing things that God the Father does not do, that is not of him at all, that's not even entered into his mind? Are you in love, infatuated with the world today? Now, what do we mean by the word world, all right? When we... Uh, we're singing the song, uh, The Wonder of It All. The wonder is that God loves me. And then I quoted to you John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. What does that word world mean? Does it mean the terrestrial globe, the planet? No. Um, does it mean the people on the globe? Yes. All right. But not the value system of people who live without God. And that's here in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. There's a value system in humanity. No matter what nation you're from, what uh, your skin tone is, what country you're from, what gender you are, uh, it doesn't matter. Because pride is in the human heart. And that is a value system of humanity that does not want to retain God in their knowledge. We dismiss the fact that there's a creator that made everything, and we've replaced it with this false narrative that, bang, it just all showed up. That fundamentally cannot be because order does not come from chaos. That's like believing that a tornado went through the, the boneyard of airplanes down south, right? And, and hit them all at once and blew them into this big spinning cyclone and then outlands a new state-of-the-art stealth fighter jet with all the modern updated electronics, right? See, that's the craziness of the evolutionary system. We don't want to retain God in our knowledge that there's a creator because if there is an owner... We're accountable. So let's just teach that it all happened by boom, all right? Um, that you're, uh, as I was watching on the, the, the Animal Planet or History Channel, forget what it was this week, 
uh, all of the different kinds of primates that are existing in the world and, you know, very cute little creatures and some of them big scary things, you know. And then they come and say, and now this is the one that we believe that we descended from. I'm like, okay, right, sure. Um, or maybe we came from some watery substance, amoeba kind of thing, right? Well, I'll tell you where we came from. We came from dirt, all right? God took dirt and formed it into a man, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So God is our creator. And so uh, all of these things here, now let's read what happens to him. So at the end of 12 months, as the king is boasting, look what I've done, look what I've built. But why the word was in the king's mouth, it says, the kingdom is departed from me, the end of verse 31, and they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee eat grass as oxen till seven times pass over thee, until the Most High ruleth, that you know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth to whomsoever he will. How many times have we heard that phrase now? We have to acknowledge that God is in control. And until we get that through our brained head, right, bones as thick as bricks, then we're not going to know what life is supposed to be. We're not going to know how to enjoy life and to be blessed. And so Nebuchadnezzar has to learn this lesson, and it's going to take him seven years of mental insanity. Now, as I was going through this, the, the thought here, uh, the potential disease, now we, we can't go back and actually exhume uh, Nebuchadnezzar's body and see if this you know, disease or any traces of it remain in his DNA. But the disease that they think that he had was called like, uh, lycanthony, where you mentally you think you're an animal and you begin to act like one. And so it wouldn't be very hard at all for creator God who creates this, the soul or the psyche of a person to give them a mental disease where they think they're a cow and go out and begin to eat grass and uh, live with the beasts of the field. And so the same hour, verse 33, this thing was filled upon Nebuchadnezzar and he was driven from men and did eat grass uh, with the oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird claws. Uh, ladies, how would you like to untangle that mess? All right, uh, you would spend a lot of time pulling at those tangles, all right? And um, he definitely would need uh, a manicure, right? Uh, because his fingernails are, are growing and curling like eagle's talons, right? And at the end of the days, verse 34, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and my understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever and ever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. So let's just look there. So this is an appeal. Repent and put your trust in God today. He's giving you his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus died for your sins that you've committed against his holiness. You're worthy of eternal separation in hell. But God loves you so much that he sent Jesus, who suffered in your place on the cross. And he takes your spiritual rap sheet, puts it on himself, and gives you his perfect righteousness in exchange. He becomes the sinner. You become as righteous as God by trusting in what he did for you. So believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Admit you're a sinner. And you cannot save yourself, that you're worthy of hell, that Jesus Christ died for you, he was buried, he rose again, he put sin, your sin, upon himself. And then he came out of the grave three days later. And the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. John 3.16 put it this way, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 5, 29. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath passed from death to everlasting life. They have everlasting life. Today you can receive the forgiveness of your sins in the gift of eternal life.
if you will ask Jesus as your Savior. But you have to humble yourself. You have to admit that you're wrong. And so listen to uh, Daniel chapter 5, verse 20. This is recapping. You remember I was showing you the progression of where the, the Daniel was going? So next week in chapter 5, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, Belteshazzar, is having this lavish party in the palace. And the handwriting appears on the wall. Have you ever heard that expression? That comes from Daniel 5. All right. And uh, they call in Daniel and he interprets it. And Daniel in, says this uh, about this. In Daniel 5.20, in reference to Nebuchadnezzar, but when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was disposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. So why did Nebuchadnezzar have to go through seven years of sanity? Because of the pride of his heart. He would not acknowledge the sovereignty of God, that the Most High ruleth in the kingdoms of men. It was God who put Nebuchadnezzar at the top, not himself. It was God who blessed him and allowed him to be a, a builder and a creator, not he himself. But he didn't want to acknowledge that. And we want to live life the way that we want to live life. And don't you preach at me, preacher. All right? I don't want to go to church because I get preached at. Yeah, right. That's called conviction. A holy and a righteous God talking to you through his word, the Bible. Telling every single one of us, including me, be ye holy for I am holy. So even Christians get preached at, and we need it, because we're all proud people, and pride will, will bring us to a tragic end. And so how tragic the proud rulers of this present world fail to see that they're nothing, and God is everything. The Most High rules in the kingdom of men. So this world is not in chaos today. This world is in perfect conformity to a sovereign God's plan for human history. This is not marching to disorder. Time is marching to order and to the beginning of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's where all of this is going. And this is what we need to acknowledge in our lives. Now, let's look at verses 34 through 37 here. Uh, I think we stopped reading at verse 34, so let's pick up 35, 36, and 37. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? I think Nebuchadnezzar came to know who God was. If God has power over angelic beings in heaven, he can certainly do whatever he wants on earth. Because we're not, as human beings, anywhere near the intelligence or strength of the hosts of heaven. And so at verse 36, at the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my lords sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways, judgment, and those that walk in, what? He's able to abase. Nebuchadnezzar says, God doesn't lie. Everything he does is true. He's a God of justice. So there are a lot of proud human rulers out there today abusing people. Watch out. Watch out. They're going to run into the buzzsaw called the justice of God. And God is a just God. He will by no means acquit the guilty. A uh, problem for all of us in the room, who are the guilty? All of us. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But God so loved the world. And you see, by Adam's sin, all became sinners. By the death of Jesus Christ, all who by faith trust in him can be made righteous. 
what a beautiful change. Will you today humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God? Now, critical scholars say, oh, well, they just plagiarized this from a Babylonian document because there's some similarities. Well, that's just an excuse. And you don't need to believe such a thing. A man's pride will bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. So here's a closing appeal to you today. A gospel invitation is a story of God's grace for all people. So we close it out by saying in verse 37, Nebuchadnezzar came to a place where he understood his relationship to the God of the universe. And he submitted to him. Do you understand your place in relationship to the God of the universe? He's your creator. He's created you for a purpose, to glorify him. You begin to live that purpose when you humble yourself and say, I'm a sinner worthy of hell. I cannot save myself. But thank God Jesus died for me, and I will ask him to be my savior. Then you can begin to live that life. And when Nebuchadnezzar did that, the whole way and system of governing his kingdom changed. He would go back and practice the righteousness and the equity for those that were oppressed. And he ruled righteously. But his warning, Nebuchadnezzar's warning is this. If you're going to walk in pride, God knows how to abase you. James 4, 6, but he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. 1 Peter 5, 5, likewise ye younger submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Will you humble yourself today? Live God's ways.